I'm going to get started. Okay, welcome to another Real USA podcast, otherwise known as Sanity Check in these trying times. Um, and this is sort of a continuation of what we did last week. Um, I've got Sid, um, who is not Sid Lowe. I guess somebody read that, read, read that we were talking to Sid and got all excited, but then they were decided, they were happy to discover Siddharth. And, yeah. uh, yeah, so somewhat yeah. disappointing. So, so the the funny corollary to that is everybody in Villarreal, when I went, thought I was Ravi. So I'm yeah. clearly I'm clearly only the third most famous person who people think I am uh, in the right. world. So. <laughs> well, because clearly there could only be one one Indian American supporting Villarreal, right? And it had to be fair. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> And, and with with all due respect to you, Sid, if we ever actually get Sid Lowe on the podcast, I'm tagging him on Twitter. I'm putting both names in the headline. I'm going to broadcast that from the rooftops. Yes, so fair enough. No, fair no enough. confusion there. Yes, uh, exactly. So, um, okay, so and obviously that's Zach joining us from from Eastern North Carolina here. So um, we had a good conversation last time, and we sort of. Um, one of the topics that we sort of touched on a little bit, but really didn't get into as much as we probably could have done, um, was the whole question of, uh, I guess I would characterize it two ways. One is football as a business, as opposed to a, uh, as opposed to results or, or are those two actually even opposite? But the whole topic of football as a business, and then related to that is, so if football is a business, do you measure your successes by um, by how you do relative to your budget? What sort of what sort of metrics do you set for yourself as as a as a club and um, as a as a fan of a team? I mean, how do you? We all know that, of course, we should win every game, and if we don't, it's either the fault of the referees or our coach or something. But, you know, realistically, what sort of goals should you set for your team? So that's sort of the general uh, topic that we wanted to talk about. And so, Zach, I'm going to let you start, and and then uh, Sid can, can come in here. Well, okay, so – and, 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 and to me, I, and this is something I'd love to explore whenever we had the time or if we have the time today, I, I think generally speaking that the big business in football is good for the sport in a global, from a global perspective. It's got, it's definitely got its downsides, but overall the sport spreads throughout the world because it's gigantic business and it helps make it more popular in new places all the time. Um, I mean, we're, we're three guys in America having a conversation about a provincial team in Spain that never played any top flight football until the late nineties. Um, I think when you're talking about in the, in the scope of that, then I, I think if you are successful as a business in this modern world of football, you will be successful on the pitch. Now that success is somewhat relative, right? Uh, but to give an example, um, Athletic Club has been in all, in every single edition of La Liga we've ever had. They've got, uh, what's it, 24 Copa del Reyes. They might win another one if we ever get to finish this season. They've won a Spanish Super Cup recently. And 
They are, from a business standpoint, one of the most solvent, one of the most efficient operations anywhere in world football, while at the same time staying true to being a community club and, and, and representing the Basque region and everything else. Um, so I think from a Villarreal perspective, um, you know, the, the goal isn't necessarily to be, you know, to have Real Madrid's trophy cabinet, as much fun as that would be. The goal is to say, okay, if we make good business decisions, if we are smart in how we transfer our players in and out, we make sure we have managers in place that direct those teams well, then we can consistently have a level of football success that re- that reflects the financial standing of our club. And realistically, for us, that means being in European competition almost every single year, and maybe one of these days we'll like blunder into actually winning one of these trophies. So that that that's kind of my general take and my general position on all that. Yeah, and I think there was one other thing that Zach we were talking about offline that maybe you could expand on when we were sort of talking about squad decisions, and you were talking about Paco Alcácer, uh, and maybe you can sort of share your view you know, in terms of how you felt that money was well spent. Yeah. So, um, when it comes, when it comes to Paco, I mean, we got a, an extremely marketable Spanish international for way below his market value because Dortmund was trying to bring in another striker and they're in a little bit of a financial bind, a little bit of a playing time bind. And we were able to take advantage of that and get a quality of player and a quality of asset that otherwise really wouldn't have been an option for us. We were aided by the fact that Barcelona is was completely incompetent in trying to sign a striker, so Valencia wasn't really in a position to make the move for Paco. And we got that player to come in. Now, part of that... Part of that is, uh, and so I think he was the right branding decision. I think he was a sound financial investment, a sound business investment. And uh, along the way, part of what him coming in has done is it means that the Fernino uh, debut didn't blossom into as much as it probably could have otherwise because we didn't have this new kid that we wanted to throw out there every single second we had available. But to me, that's okay. To me... If we're making those smart business decisions, bringing in those good assets like that, that to me is more important than the the huge maybe that comes with whether or not this latest you know teenager, this latest young player, does or doesn't pan out on the La Liga level, even if they are from our own Cantera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that you're. You're probably right that I think from a business point of view, it would be hard to turn down the opportunity to get a player like like Paco, partly because you're looking at it from a standpoint of um, we are a team that is typically going to sell on a player. And I think you're right that the, the sort of circumstances in the market were a bit unique in that 
Valencia. I mean, when 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 Paco was first mentioned as being linked with Villarreal, I mean, I, I think every, all of us, uh, no way. You know, he's going to go to Barcelona. He's going to go to to Valencia. You know, there's no way he's going to come here. And so I think the fact that it, they, that he sort of fell to us in the way he did, yeah, it, it would have been hard to have turned that down. Um, the question, of course, is and. I mean, it's not fair to, to make the judgment based on the few games that we've had. But, you know, the question is how how he integrates with the team and makes the team better. And, you know, is it – so is he a sound business investment from the standpoint of, of you know, giving us a couple of years and then selling him on, or is he more than that? Does he Does he lead us to, you know, European qualification, maybe Champions League, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, I think in some ways what uh, the 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 problem that Virial has is similar to small market teams in American baseball, because I would say, you know, the American football is not really comparable because of the extreme revenue sharing that goes on. But in baseball, it's a little more like La Liga in that some teams have big advantages either because of bigger markets bigger TV contracts or both, but there is some revenue sharing amongst the teams to try and make everything more or less equal. And I think the thing that you see with the, with American baseball is that the small market teams have less room for error. And, and I sort of feel like that's, that's true with Villarreal as well. It takes us for example, when we signed Ruben Semedo for whatever it was, 12 million euros or whatever, you know, that was a big hit to our budget. And then it was a big hit to our plans when it turned out he was, you know, not a very good player and had off field issues. That takes us a couple of years to recover from. A, a Real Madrid, a Barcelona, an Atleti, that's just kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of chump change. And if we handled yeah. our business the way Barcelona handles theirs, we'd be in the Segunda division and up to our eyeballs in debt and probably getting ready to go under entirely. Yeah, to your point. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the the one other thing we had talked about though, and this is this is where I come out a little bit on the other side, is again, the the question about what what is objective. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this discussion a little bit as well, but I think, again, we, we can say we've been spoiled to have it or whatever, however you want to view it, but most years we've been qualifying for Europe. So if the goal was what can we do in the winter transfer market to get us back into Europe, which in terms of a long term, you know, just being business minded here long-term cash flow uh, to make sure sort of we're able to put the kind of money into players that we all would hope to be able to, qualifying for Europe is is a must. Mm-hmm. And signing Paco, which then meant that probably, right, we're thinking one of our top, if not top, wage earners in Baca basically doesn't play and not bolstering the parts of the squad that really needed it 
like a third center back and a defensive midfielder who you probably could have signed for the money spent on Paco. Not to mention, surely, Paco's wages now, if he's not the highest player, you know, paid player, he's one of the top couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the argument has to be, right, if we're in the business mode, is you have to be able to sell Paco on for one and a half X, two X. And he still has to be young, marketable enough um, to to recoup that for you in a couple of years. And right. at the same time, you are hoping, right, that he also is resulting in you qualifying for Europe because he's going to be that good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In that perspective, I, well, I don't know but, that it made business sense. But it did. But hold on, because the, the conversation, I remember Alan and I having this conversation you know, at the beginning of January, I mean, we had we had one thread on our website for where we just aggregated all the transfer rumors because the assumption was we weren't going to do anything in January. We hardly ever do anything in January. So it was one of those things that, you know, you can talk about signing the third center back or the defensive midfielder, but who were those players? Who were those guys that were going to become available? Where we're in, in a way we're we're a big club, but another way in terms of being a, a destination that people want to go to, I mean Paco fell into our lap because a couple because Dortmund brought in somebody and then a couple other clubs screwed up their business. I mean we didn't it's not just as simple as saying, Okay, well, let me go spend fifteen million on a center back and ten million on a defensive midfielder and these guys that are going to want to come here mid-season and be good enough quality to, you know, play a whole bunch of minutes for us are just going to, you know, materialize out of thin air. I, I just, I, I think if we were playing FIFA, your idea makes sense, but I don't know in a real-world situation that those players were necessarily out there to get in the transfer window. Well, okay, I disagree because I think anybody in the Segunda who's decent is better than our third center back, and our non-existent depth in midfield. So I don't think we're talking about having to be a world beater, right? Somebody has to beat out Funes Mori to be an improvement in the squad. And somebody has to beat out, I don't even know who, because we don't actually even have anyone at that position to be a defensive mid. These aren't people who are, you know, so somebody in the segunda, you know, call it the best defensive midfielder in the segunda or one of the best center backs in the segunda is is out there for not crazy money. It's just a question of saying. Those players are probably playing for clubs pushing for promotion, though, so then you're overpaying their value to get them to come. And if they're sitting on those kind of assets – they're, 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 like, the best players in Segunda are either already on loan from La Liga clubs, or they're, are there assets for clubs that are trying to get the La Liga, and those clubs aren't going to sell unless it's for a super premium in the middle of the season. Agreed, but a super premium on a small amount of money, right? So not, not a $20 million outlay. I mean, we can sort of go through who's out there and, and sort of do that analysis, but I think this is just more of a conceptual point. If you need, if you have needs at positions, you spend money on needs at positions to balance your team. 
I just don't think Paco was an investment in us trying to get better this year. If it's a business move, it's a we think we can double his value in two years. And I think that's just that's a different philosophy. I don't think that's what the club has done. I think he did make us better this year, though. Just not significantly enough. Not not enough to cover up. Like, the replacement value of him over Baca is not more than the replacement value of having depth at positions where we direly need it. That could be, but that's sort of a, but that's sort of a different argument because the, the thing that we've also been saying is that, you know, Virial has been fairly blind in terms of investing at center back, for example, for a while. I mean, I agree with you that we could probably go to a Segunda team and get, um, you know, I was just looking, Mark Valiente, who used to play for Valladolid and was linked with us several years ago, is now 33 years old and playing with Sporting Gijon in the Segunda. They're not likely to get promoted, I don't think. Yeah, we could probably have said, gee, why don't we go pick him up as a third center back? That would not have kept us from taking advantage of the Paco situation, though. I think the, I think the issue is that for whatever reason, we haven't made that a priority and we still haven't. And that's different from being, from jumping or not on Paco because of, of that. I think the better argument for saying, well, you would have, we shouldn't have gone after Paco would have been if you said, okay, but we want to keep this powder dry to sign um, Zombo and because we know we're, he's going to cost us X and we are definite that he's he's a guy we want. And as we've talked about on here, um, you know, he's not the, he's not again the, the, He's a good player. He's not the player we desperately need in the middle of the pitch. So maybe the decision was made that we're going to pass on him, and therefore this money is available. I, well, I don't, and, and, and I'm going to jump in and say, though, that the center back thing you're saying is, like, very recent. What about Godin, Gonzalo, Musaccio, Baili, Paulista, most of whom we cashed in a very pretty penny on? some of whom played for us for a while, and then we still sold them on for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So obviously the eye was there. It's just the eye has not been refined the past couple years. But sort of my, my, my take would be if it's just we've been off the past couple years, that doesn't make it you change the model entirely and go into what I view as a very high-risk, high-return business on spending on expensive players who didn't play much at good teams, and then you bring them into a situation where he's not even, and I'm saying this, he's not even the best striker on our team. Gerard is a more complete player than him. So he's second fiddle to somebody else on a team. How motivated is he having his last two clubs as Dortmund and Barcelona to come in here and just go score 30 goals? Like, I hope so, but it's a big gamble. Yeah, but that's a gamble we've taken before. I mean, if you go back through the years when we signed, you know, we signed Rossi as, as a youngster from, from Manchester United. Um, we paid decent money at that, you know, what was it? 10 million euros or something, which, you know, in today, I mean, in today's market, that'd probably be 20, right? And we, we signed, um, Forlan 
I mean, we, we, we've always been willing to take a, I, I would, I would say take a chance on players who, who we thought needed a change of scenery to, to do well. Um, I don't, I guess to me, I don't see that signing Paco is that different from, from one of those. I don't see well, that. But, but he's come, he is coming in on much higher wages. Well, hold on. He's much I, more established than, than Rossi yeah, was. But, but let's also, hold on. Cause there, there's something I can't, I just can't let slide. Your, your take is that a guy who is, who scored 23 goals in 1700 league minutes at Dortmund is not as good as the guy that has 19 goals in over 4,000 league minutes at Villarreal. That's, that, that's what you're laying on me? That Paco's real, I mean, Paco was at, Dor- at, at Barcelona and Dortmund for a reason. Like the, the, the and, and Gerard went from Espanol to here for a reason. Like there, we're, 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 we're definitely talking about a very, I mean, Gerard might be able to play more positions. If you slide him out wide, he might be a better winger than Paco is a winger. But in terms of a central striker, I mean, we're, we're talking about, we're talking about an extremely good number nine here in, in, in Paco that was without question an upgrade, especially considering bringing him in allowed us to move Chakwesi to the bench where he needs to be anyway and put, and put Gerard out wide. Well, okay. I'm, I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I buy that. I don't think Paco is actually a great fit in our system. Um, particularly not if Gerard is playing with him. I don't see them as like extremely compatible players. But again, we haven't seen enough games to say that. But I think also if we're saying putting Chiquese on the bench is where he should be, you're also depreciating your most valuable asset by not playing him. So if we, I mean, again, if we're sort of in the strictly business mode, Chiquese is the guy we need to be inflating the tire selling. But That's you know what? If he's not playing, asset. if he's not playing well, then he retains more value by by coming off the bench and showing flashes of brilliance than he does for putting out ninety minutes where he's good for fifteen of it and mediocre for the rest. Now, to your to your point about the Segunda Division, I went and I looked up all the guys who transferred this winter from the Segunda Division to first division clubs anywhere in, uh, anywhere in Europe. In the top five leagues, uh, that, that were midfielders or center backs. We got Gonzalo Villar, who was recruited by AS Roma. I'm not sure why on earth they paid four million for him, but it's not like we were going to beat Roma to him anyway. We got, uh, Bernardo Cruz, uh, 20, 26 year old who, uh, moved to Granada. He's a, uh, center back and he has never played in La Liga before in his life. We got Cleangelo Yeshi, I believe I'm, I, I'm pronouncing that right, who moved from, uh, Huelva to Leganes on a loan. He's a defensive midfielder. Transfer marked has his value at $220,000. Uh, we got Leonardo Capese, who moved from, uh, who moved to Sampdoria. Um, he's a defensive midfielder who's 25 and he's Italian anyway, so he probably just wanted to go back home to Italy. And last but not least, we got Roberto Alabe, who is a central midfielder who's 23, who moved to Ibar, 
um, on, on loan. So Ibar didn't even think he was worth actually dropping any money on. Like those are the only guys in the second tier and, and the positions that you, that we're talking about needing that anybody thought it was worth the effort to actually go get this past window. I, I don't think there's a ton of talent out there. Mm, okay. okay. I mean, I think, I think we're sort of cherry picking here, right? We could be talking about Calero from Valladolid, who we've been linked with for however long. We could talk about someone like Pape Diop, who has played in La Liga for a few years and is a decent player, who I think is at Levante now. It's just, if, if you actually wanted to invest in the areas where you have need, there was an option that was better than what we currently have. So. Well, well, maybe, maybe. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I still see, I, I guess where, where I see us is not so much that we've changed what we've done. It, I keep, I come back to what I said before. You know, the last two, we had a, we had an impressive run of center back assets that we got that turned out to be real, real good for us. And you, you, you know, going from Godin to, to, to Bailly. Um, our last two, um, were, um, uh, the, uh, the Semedo and Funes Mori. And both of those, I think we have to admit, have been busts. Um, Semedo, definitely. And Tunis Mori has certainly not shown that he's capable of being a, an everyday starter. Um, if you look at center midfield, at our defensive midfield, I mean, leaving apart the year where we had, where Rodri, you know, stepped up and unfortunately got to be too good too soon so that we only had him for a year. You know, who else did we try? We, we had, um, we had the guy we signed from Bethy's that Marcelino tried to make into a center back and that didn't work out. So it's not that we haven't tried things. It's that we haven't had this, the, the hits that we well, had. The, the other thing though is like we got, we got it right in defensive midfield. Like Ro- Rodri was getting it right and it's really, it's a really big ask for a club to go and, and discover a player like that, turn him into a finished product. You get him for one year uh, in your first team, and everything's going according to schedule. And then all of a sudden, a bigger club comes in and takes him. I mean, I, I can't get on the club's case too much for not being able to immediately go out and find the next guy. I mean, I mean that's that's a that's a tall ask to me. That's something that the club did the right thing, and kind of like you said, Alan, he got too good too fast, and we didn't get the benefit of five six years of him, which is probably what the plan initially was. Yeah, I think the, I think the plan was definitely that, you know, we see him as the successor to Bruno. And so, so the plan got hit both by the fact that we never got Bruno back, (laughs) but also by the fact that because we, because of Bruno's injury, Rodri became the everyday starter and became so good so quickly that that um yeah we didn't have we didn't have um really much much room to go after that i have to say that it seemed that our though that w- when we picked up somebody afterwards to sort of allegedly fill that role i mean you know we've we've said it a million times but you know we pick up sandy caceres and that really wasn't 
I don't feel like we really defined that role very well to then go out and try to replace somebody. But it's very hard to replace a Rodri, and and we certainly had to expect that somewhere in the last couple of years Bruno would be back. So you know, and, fair we, and, and we don't know what we have in Morlanis yet. I mean, Manu Morlanis it could be the future at that position. He's just been hurt all year, and, and we don't know yet. So I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I would rather wait for him to get healthy and sign a big asset at striker than buy over top of the 21-year-old that I don't know what he is yet and leave the strike force with what's left of Carlos Baca as my, you know, as somebody I need to play on a consistent basis. Okay, fair enough. But, but, but yes, sir. yeah, I, I think I, I think all I was going to say was I think there's sort of two ways to go about it. If If you're going to say, let's see what we have, then play the kids. Go through the growing pains. Even if they're not ready, you play them because that's how they're going to learn. Well, Marlonis has been hurt. You can't. I mean, there is no playing the kids in his situation. He's been hurt all year. Agreed. But there's there's more, right? King Tia suddenly got frozen out when I think we thought he was actually a decent player. Oh, I like, love him. I, I I absolutely love him. I agree with you there. Well, and and like we we're saying about signing over the top, we signed over Miguelone who probably is good enough to play in La Liga. And mm-hmm. instead we brought in Alberto Moreno, who's just been a salary suck. So, mm-hmm. so I don't, I don't think that policy has been consistent, but I suppose the alternative of what I was going to say, and this goes back to the, again, discussion about sort of long-term sustained success is I feel like a club, like a Valencia, a Sevilla, an athletic, if they know there's sort of, we're not sure what we have yet down on the farm. They bring in that 28, 30, 32-year-old player on a two-year deal for a few million, and sort of that's a stopgap sort of solution. They know that's not their long-term investment. It's not going to be something that's making them a lot of money, but that is what is enabling them to remain competitive as they feel and sort of qualifying for Europe. So, you know, th- that approach also has been adopted of saying, okay, we don't think we have the long-term Rodri replacement, but why not sign somebody who we know is just going to sort of get in there, stick his nose for a couple of years, and then we say thank you and, and move on. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, well, let's take a short break, and then when we come back, I kind of want to follow up with this and, and talk a little more about what our goals should be um, you know, in terms of in, in Europe and stuff like that. So let's take a brief break and then we'll be right back. Okay. So yeah, I, I kind of, I, I do hear what you're saying. And I, and I think that there, there is a, I have a bit of unease with the idea that at times it feels like we've sort of picked up pieces without regards to a plan like what Sid is suggesting three or four years out. And I think the I think looking at somebody like Baca is a perfect example where, okay, it would have been fine to pick him up on a on a couple of year deal, but you know, now he's he's hardly playing. He's older. Well, nobody's playing at the moment. Um, he's older. 
And, you know, we're, we're realistically not going to get any sort of transfer value out of him. So picking up somebody on a longer term deal like that didn't, didn't necessarily work out. Um, but I guess that we, I come back to the question of what is our goal supposed to be? If, if our goal is to develop young talent and to become a profitable, um, source of, you know, selling on players that we develop to others, is that at odds with the qualifying for Europe almost every year? Uh, I, I think in some ways it doesn't have to be. I, I think part of the issue is the reason why, like, I think Alberto Moreno's contract goes to 2024. And so the reason why he gets a long deal and the reason why Carlos Baca gets a long deal is because you know, those guys aren't going, you know, it, 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 the, those long contract offers are what separate us from other clubs that they're looking at. So what they've, what they've decided, what the club has so far decided to do is, okay, you know, both those guys have roots in Sevilla. They were coming from Milan and Liverpool. They're coming from big clubs. If they're going to come to Villarreal, we're going to have to put the salary down on the table and we're going to have to offer them a long-term deal. And I mean, I think you're, you're, you're looking there at two glaring examples of what, of how it didn't work. Um, but then, you know, you, you can go back a little bit further in Villarreal's history and you see guys like Diego Forlan and Raquel May. And that's essentially what we did. I mean that we they, they were coming from big clubs. They were they were kind of out of favor. They, they you know they they were kind of at this crossroads of their career. And we slapped a bunch of salary money down on the table, gave them long term deals, and they they panned out. So to me, I I, I think it's a I, I wasn't crazy about either deal, especially the Moreno deal because he can't you know he had trouble staying healthy at Liverpool. But I, I think it would be a little unfair to like slam the policy is disastrous because it, you know, in the last three or four years, it hasn't worked quite as well as it did, you know, 15 years ago when it built, you know, the, the glory era of the entire club's history. Okay. Fair enough. But I think the, I, I don't, I hear that, but at the same token, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever, we didn't have, the Cantera in the way we do now. And so I think the question is giving Alberto Moreno to take an example, if you're giving him a long-term deal, admittedly with no transfer fee, so you're, so you're, it's basically a salary deal, but you're, but you're taking Kintia and, um, and, uh, Migalone and you're basically, um, either not going to play them or you're going to end up loaning them away where you don't control what happens. Is that really the best use of your, is that a policy we should still be doing? I mean, and, 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 and I feel like there's a little bit and, and agreed with you, Zach, that it has worked, um, in the past. And I think that, you know, that's the point that I became sort of, 
a fan of the club was was when when Riquelme had come in. Um, but you know, for for those moves that happened at that time, you also had like Tacinardi who came from Juventus, who wasn't playing much as sort of a backup there, and he came in and he became an important piece. I just feel like some some of the sort of focus it seems to be like is all right, we got a name. Like we got it, we're signing Alberto Moreno because people know who he is, not because there was some like, okay, we have a need at this position, we don't have anybody there right now, and we want to fill that. It's just sort of like, okay, if we sign Alberto Moreno, people will be excited about that fact. Um, and I feel like just there needs to be a little bit more coherent of a of a collective strategy. Um, where you can bring in some names, but you also have to sort of have have the pieces at the re- on the rest of the pitch uh, to make those names be able to sh- stand out. I, I think part of that issue um, is that we don't have we don't have a clear. It's hard to have a clear identity in the transfer market when you don't have a clear identity on the pitch. And Kaleha's kind of a amorphous in terms of what he's trying to do. Uh, like, like we said, like there's a few principles he tries to put in place, but we don't even really know what position the guy, the, the what, what, uh, formation the guy's married to. So it, you know, it's one thing if you've got a manager that says, this is the kind of football I want to play. So bring in these kind of players, do these sorts of things for that system. It's a lot harder on management when they're trying to bring in guys who are talented. You know, but they really don't know, like, okay, we kn- we know that you don't get along with the left back we have, so we're going to loan him out, and we know we need another, you know, first team left back. This guy's talented, so since we don't know exactly what our left back needs to do here, have this left back. Like, that's how that move felt to me. Yeah, I hear that. I, I, I'm thinking that part of it is, that it's not just Kaleha also, it's that, it's that over the last few years, we've tended to give, um, we, we've tended to have coaches who, I mean, in Marcelino's case, and I guess before him, Garrido, I mean, he, they definitely wanted to have control over what, what, who came in in transfers. And so we, the fact that we, have had a somewhat of a revolving door at the coaching level hasn't helped because I think the, I don't think we have a real sense of clear. This is the way we play as a team, regardless of who's coaching us. Right. I mean, Marcelino had a much different approach to Garrido, a much different approach. And then Escriba different again. Um, and that's yeah. something Sevilla does really well, by the way. Sevilla, no matter who the manager is, they're, they're looking for certain things and certain types of players, and they're going to get players that fit that role, and the manager be, better be ready to come along with it. Right. And I think that was something that when, when Pellegrini was, you know, had, had his, his long era with Muriel, that's where we, that's part of the reason why we were able to be so successful was that we had that um we had that mindset you know we're we're playing this way these are the these this is what we can do feels like we've lost a little bit of that this is the way we play um approach in recent years and and yeah whether you want to call it amorphous or 
or just or just changing um, coaches. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair fair statement. I want to talk about a guy that we didn't talk about last time that I really um, that after we got off the podcast we were like oh we forgot to talk about him so let's let's bring up Anasunal because here's another here's another guy where I kind of feel like this this was a we got this opportunity to bring him in because he couldn't get a work permit in England um, you know so we signed him from Manchester City but. I mean, how many strikers does he have any sort of chance of playing for us long term, or are we just looking to sell him on now? It seemed it seemed from the beginning, right, like a, a classic business business move that we thought, you know, again, undervalued asset in the market. We thought we could have him, you know, potentially play him a couple years, move him on. Again, right. I, and I feel like when he played, he did okay. Certainly, a big thing is when he played, he brought something different. We haven't had that physical presence of a striker up front. Um, and given how much it has felt like at times that we seem to try and play on the counter, having a big target man seems like it actually might might be something coherent with what we do. But that said... You know, I I think you can say at this point he probably doesn't feel highly valued by the club either, uh, mm. having been allowed to be on loan in the league for multiple seasons. Um, so at this point, I, right, I think you'd be happy to to break even on that and and move on because I, I don't know I don't know how how likely he would be to come and extend his contract here, having been. I think now two and a half seasons away. Yeah, I, I think we took a chance on a young player, a, a clearly talented player, and he does bring something different stylistically. I just don't think he's all that good. Um, I think he's a guy that um, when he was younger, you know, beat up on a be, beat up on a lot of people because he was he was more physically talented. Um, and, you know, he spent some time in some smaller leagues that had, you know, when he was at Gank and when he was at uh, Twinta and he was at, he was in leagues that, you know, didn't have the kind of athletes to, to really challenge him. So he looked like this really special talent, but he never really figured out to me at least, um, how to actually finish out his game. So I mean we, we, we took we took a, a monetary flyer on a young player, he didn't pan out, and I think now you just kind of just move on from him. Yeah. I yeah. yeah. And I think you're we're noticing a trend <laughs> that that we've done a few of these, you know, put in put in Semedo and a couple others with it. Then that's that's where what Alan is saying comes comes true. How how many as a club like Villarreal of those can you afford? And so I feel like that almost is what informed them in the Paco decision to say, if we're going to do this, we at least know that the floor, you know, is a little bit higher for him if we do have to sell a bond. So, right. <coughs> well, so, so, in that, so in that sense, I feel like, you know, maybe it, was, it, it made a little bit more sense in the what's the biggest downside we could have. Because I could see us like not getting anything for Unal at the end of it. 
Well, his his contract goes until June 2022. So you'd figure, I mean, of course, in normal times, <laughs> if we if we were finishing this season um, at a regular time, I'd probably say that you know we'd be looking to move him on this summer or maybe next. Um, because I don't, I mean, he's still only 20. What he'll be 23 in May. Um, but I, te- I tend to agree with you, Sid, that I think he's, I think his game is one where as a young player, if you, you know, people mature physically at different ages and he, he was sort of able to take advantage of, of his strength and everything when he was 17, 18. Now he's going up against, um, players who, who have also, um, are are much much more even with him in terms of, terms of that and yeah and I think he's he's done a decent job for Valladolid certainly but it's not a club that is going to develop his attacking talents particularly. So. I, I also I also think it's worth pointing out while we're taking talking about taking flyers on players, um, we spent what like just over a million on Moy Gomez, and I mean I think his I think his market value has shot up in the time that we've had him. Um, Kintia, you know, even if he doesn't end up being the left back of the future, we got him for free, and he's definitely he's definitely carrying way more value than that now. Um, on on Tavares, I think is a player that. Um, based on what I'm seeing from him, you know, we took like a, what, a seven or eight million, uh, flyer on him. I, I think we'll end up having the chance to possibly make some money on that. Um, you know, I, I think there are, you know, it, it, it's easy to get to zero in on the players that, you know, we took a flyer on and they didn't work out and be like, oh, what's the club doing? But then the the club's still doing plenty of. I mean, we got Chiquese for like half a million euros. I mean, we we got plenty of young players that, if mm-hmm. we decide to sell them on, are going to make serious amounts of money for the club. Yeah, but 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 I think but I think that also goes to show that taking a lot of lottery tickets for cheap maybe is a better strategy than throwing all your eggs in one basket. And risking that you miss because our miss rate's been a lot higher on the big outlets. So I totally agree with you. I think Moy Gomez that made perfect sense because you yeah. get a player who is familiar here, even if he's just okay. You amortize it and you're like, fine. You got you have a decent player. He's actually shown that he has more potential. But then the idea is you have to bring him in and let him play. <laughs> that, right. that that seems to be the problem. Is is even again. With Chukweze, if he's not playing, I don't, I don't know what we're sort of doing with him. We know he's not staying long term and he's not being sold on for a lot of money. Whether his performance on the pitch is great or it's average, he's got to be out there to get that sort of big lottery ticket that we're hoping for. Yeah, I, I guess to me, I think, I mean, he's something of an interesting case because of his youth and and everything i think at the end of the day um the question to me i don't i understand the value of of going in and buying a bunch of lottery tickets i as you put it to me though that has to be coupled with an over 
all plan for, you know, here's what we want the squad to look like over the next three, four, five years. Here are the types of players we're looking to bring in to strengthen the squad rather than just, oh, here's a cheap lottery ticket. I'm going to grab it. And I think that's the thing that I'm, that I, um, am not sure about is, you know, when we end up in a, in a situation where we've got as many strikers as we have and we have as few center backs as we have, um, it just, I just wonder if we're kind of getting seduced sometimes as, as you said by the name. Oh, look, we can sign this guy. Or are we getting seduced by the, this looks like a really good deal for us as opposed to what's our plan for, for the future. And if the plan for the future is we're going to develop our center backs at our Cantera, great. We, I mean, I don't think it is because we haven't done a very good job of that, but maybe, you know, I just, I just want to see that there is a plan. If well, it's going the, out there and, <laughs> and buying somebody for a couple of million that we then convert into somebody we sell on for eight or nine, fine. I just, don't I think, I think part of the difficulty though is there's a certain size club as you go up the echelon of, of football clubs in Europe. There's a certain size club that does both. They both take all kinds of cheap little flyers on guys. And then they also take big gambles on big name players. And, and we're kind of, and I think part of the reason why we're having this discussion is the size of Villarreal is kind of on that line, right? A lot of clubs smaller than us, you know, um, operate almost exclusively in, in, in small cost players. Um, and, and, and don't really try to take as few gambles as possible. And a lot of clubs bigger than us are taking just, you know, all kinds of flyers all over the place. And we're kind of size-wise stuck in the middle. So it's our, – our misses hurt worse than Sevillas do, than Valencias do, than Athletes do. And, um, you know, and our hits aren't quite – you know, if we if we buy a player for 500000 and some for $10 million, that's good, but it's not quite the, you know, wonderful thing that it would be for some of the clubs further down the table from us. So I think part of the difficulty we're having here is this sort of mid-level size-wise that Villarreal finds itself in financially. Yeah, that's a good point, and I think yes. – I'm curious to hear, Zach, what you, where, what's, what's our comparable? It doesn't have to even necessarily be in La Liga. But if we're saying Sevilla, Valencia are too big, so we're saying we're, you know, on that basis, this goes back to level setting too. So we're, we're, we should finish behind five teams and maybe we compete with one or two of them, uh, you know, every couple years. But, Uh You know, and then the teams that sort of are close to our level in La Liga, like Athletic, I, I don't know how you'd compare it. So, so maybe it is like La Real, but I'm curious. You know, is somebody like Ajax more, uh, more really within our market? Um, I mean, Ajax is a bigger club than we are. Now they, the, Ajax has the ability to soak up talent in the Netherlands that we'll never be able to compare to. And so when you're talking about making these, these cross club comparisons, I mean, part of the, part of the thing is that, um, 
you know, it, some of the other clubs that you might say, oh, well, financially they have similar levels of revenue. Yeah, but in the little pond they're sitting in, um, you know, there there are much bigger fish relative to where they are. I actually think a good comparison size-wise um, is Atalanta uh, over in um, over mm-hmm. in Italy. They are they're just outside of Milan, right? So they're they're in a small they're in a, a provincial town like 30 to 40 minutes outside of Milan, and so they know that in their region in Italy that uh Inter and uh AC Milan are the are the big dogs so they do things like every child that's born in the hospital in, in their city uh gets a Atalanta scarf and an Atalanta kit like the day they're born and you know they they, they, they and they, they they do things like uh they picked up uh they pick up guys like uh, Luis Muriel and they got Ilicic who's in his 30s now and playing great football and they've kind of got this Weird amalgamation of talent that what makes them go is, you know, having a, a clever manager that hasn't been a superstar everywhere he's been, but it's working there. Um, I was going to say the manager team. makes the difference too, for sure there. Right. But, but I mean, yep. Gasparini, Gasparini like failed, failed at Inter. He was good his first time at Genoa. He wasn't great. He was okay his second time at Genoa. Um, he, he's had a lot of, He's had a lot of bumps in the road. I think he went to like Eastern Europe for a little while and then like a war broke out in the Ukraine and he came back. Like he's not, he's not this guy that's been an elite manager for 10 years. He, he's the kind of, he, he's the kind of guy we picked up, you know, a few years ago when we were signing like Marcelino to be our manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think, but I, so I, I think in terms of, and what they've done and the reason why I wanted to draw the comparison is, not really just because they've got the manager and they're scoring like like three and a half goals a game in Serie A, but what they've done is they have um, identified with their community in such a way that has improved their academy uh, above and beyond just their ability to coach football. And I think that Villarreal does some of this, right, in, in, in their immediate vicinity. But I think part part of what's going on there, I mean, the part the reason why Athletic Bilbao has been so good is because everybody in the Basque Country wants to go to Bilbao. So I don't think that's a a real comparison for us because they've got a region there where they're financially in every respect they're the top dog out there. Um, yeah. Um. The I, I I think that what we're looking at, and and frankly, I think in some ways. Um, I don't think Adelaide has got a ton more talent than we do. So in terms of talent acquisition, I think they're a similar size club to us, and we've just we've got to get the manager right. I mean, but and I've been saying that for a month and a half now. Right. Mm-hmm. But but folks like Muriel and Ilicic, I'm sure they spend a decent money on Muriel, but. Those are those also aren't the like we're gonna sell them for three eggs when we're done here. I think you know those... Muriel was was sixteen million. I think um, they were, but they had a last summer they had a net um, they had a net gain uh, in terms of trade. They sold uh, Dahan Kulisewski to Juventus for thirty eight million. They got mm-hmm. they sold Frank. Uh, Frank Kessie to AC Milan for 26 million. Right. Um, 
They, they've really, and, and by the way, uh, Cassie was one of those guys that they bought with the intent of turning mm-hmm. him into something and selling him on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that overall they're, you know, I, in some ways they're not, in some ways they haven't been as successful as us the last 15 years. So, indeed, and, indeed. And, and, and Italy doesn't have quite as much talent as Spain does nationally speaking. So we've got a little bit better player pool to draw to our country, but I think that would be the kind of club I would compare us to. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's actually not a bad one because I was just trying to think of a comparison too, and I was and I was also thinking of Italy, but I was thinking of Fiorentina because of the I guess partly because we had the connection with Rossi and uh and Zalo. Zalo going Borja. there. Borja Valero. And, Monte. Yeah, and, we had a lot we had a lot, and at the time, those seemed like very kind of horizontal moves. Now, they've had, I guess the one thing that's a lot different for them is that they're much more, you know, they are the club of of um, Florence, and they are, um, you know, of the region. They have a much bigger pull than than we do. They don't have a another club, you know, half an hour away with a lot more resources when they do but in, in other ways it's probably not that dissimilar that um they they tended to have you know they've they've matched our level some years and then they've had some lean years too where, where they haven't qualified for europe but they've been kind of a typical europa league competitor um type team i think um it, it, it i think it's a good point and it and it also begs the question as you look at world football, um, you know, as, as there's more, as there's more money in it, I mean, I think it's, a, I think it kind of goes back to what we were saying about how 15 years ago you could scout in the South America, in South American countries and you could come up with the players that weren't yet recognized. It's much harder now. And, but I think Zach's point is a good one that we're sort of almost between two chairs, you know, we're, we're not a Levante <laughs> that is, or a, or a club like that, that, that is really stretching to buy a player for 10 million, right? We're not, we're not one of those teams, but I would say compared to Valencia and Sevilla, we're sort of not quite those teams either. We're, um, we don't have quite that. We, part of, I think for, for a player coming to Virial, part of what, you have to realize is you're not going to be playing in a 50,000 seat stadium and you're not going to be the big game in town. Right. I mean, that's, that's a little different um, than if you sign for Valencia and you're, and there are advantages and disadvantages to that. You know, some, some players are always going to like the fact that I can actually, you know, go to the supermarket and not be mobbed by fans or whatnot, but it is, it's a different, it is a different thing that we have. So you've set it up perfectly for the follow-on, Alan, about whether we should or should not be thinking that we are Valencia or better than them or otherwise. So That's right. Have to so, pick that up next time. We'll have, so that'll, we'll have to pick that up next time because you and uh, and uh, Jawansi and a couple of people on the site have, have gotten into this, and I think it's a it's a reasonable question. Um, so yeah, maybe that can be part three. <laughs> any uh, any last thoughts today, Zach? Um, I, you know, I, I really, really, really need football to come back. Uh, not, 
first and foremost because it would represent it would represent us being past this horrible pandemic that's going on but but also because I did not realize just how much football had become part of my normal routine and I need it back. Yes. Yeah. I I I <laughs> Go ahead, sir. I wasn't going to be that deep. Uh, Zach, I was, <laughs> I was just going to ask you a last, a last follow on. So, so related again to the level setting stuff, it, it sounds like we're, we're sort of saying we think, we think the top five are just in a different financial bucket. So, so do you think, therefore, saying that really we shouldn't be finishing, you know, above sixth unless we really are doing things right? Is it reasonable to expect them, given that sixth, you know, or maybe seventh is is the extent of Europe? Is it really reasonable then that we should expect to be qualifying for Europe nearly every year? I think Valencia. I think Valencia is largely run by idiots. So yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I yeah. I I kind of feel as though. I kind of feel as though yes, uh, but I, th- but I, but I think it's much more competitive than it, than it was. I mean, you know, you look at the, I mean, La Real are, are a good example. Um, athletic club are a little different because of the whole Basque, um, um, player thing. And, you know, so, so you can't really look at their budget in the same way that you can other teams because they can't you know what what they can spend it on is is more limited um but i think that yeah i think that you have to kind of figure that you're going to you're going to you ought to be in the fight for european places and you ought to one most years and then when you catch lightning in a bottle and or some of the teams with more money than you just completely fucks it up yeah you can do you can do better than that um, but top four on an every year basis, no, I would say yeah. it's, it's, you're not going to get there, you know, but, but then we've never gotten there every year. I mean, we've had, we've had, um, if you go back and look at our, at our history, we've, that's essentially what we've done is we've, we've been in Europe most years, a couple of years we've missed a couple of years we've been in Europe. We've been in the champions league. Yep, I would just say I think you're more on the younger generation of VRL fans versus some of the older folks in terms of where the expectations are. Um, and, yeah. and in some, in some ways, you know, that, I suppose that's, that's interesting because maybe, you know, if you're sort of saying there's this huge chasm, you know, first, second versus third versus fourth, fifth, and then on down. Like your your odds probably are not as high as we we've probably outperformed our odds. Well, it's, it's if you're looking strictly on the the financial side. So maybe to expect that we would finish in Europe every you know most every year is probably not statistically reasonable. But we'll but we'll, we'll we'll get into this a little bit next time because I don't I don't want to do another hour of podcast. But but Sevilla's top five. Top six signings of all time. Okay, everybody they've ever spent more than twenty million U.S. dollars for: Roni Lopez, Hulis Kundi, Luis Muriel, Quincy Promes, Yusef in Nasiri, 
or Naziri and Joaquin Correa. Those are the only guys they've ever spent more than $20 million on. Sevilla has had a lot of success, but financially they are not some club that is unreachable light years ahead of us. I, I, I maintain and I, I'm willing to defend next time we do this that there is no reason why we can't be ahead of Valencia and Sevilla, and as soon as Hitafe lose their manager, Hitafe as well. Okay. Well, let's, let's end it there because we are getting, we are getting on for an hour here. I think we have it well set up for next time. So thanks to, um, both of you for participating. I think, yeah, we all hope we get real football back soon. Um, end of Ontario. <laughs>